discussion question to get us started. Okay, uh, we're talking about uh, being exiled and um, embraced. Okay, so when was a time you felt rejected, canceled, <laughs> or exiled? All right, when was a time you felt rejected, canceled, or exiled? So turn to uh, your neighbor, someone you didn't come here with, okay? Um, talk to someone you didn't come here with, and uh, I'll just give you guys like two or three minutes to talk about this. All right, so when was the time you felt rejected, canceled, or exiled? So let's go ahead and uh, gather back together. Um, do we have any brave souls willing to share uh, a time that they felt? I, it's a very personal question, I know, so... I understand if um, you're a little shy. Uh, yeah, is there a time that you felt uh, rejected, canceled, or exiled? Anyone? <laughs> Don't all speak at once. It's okay. I totally understand um, if you don't want to share. So I actually, um, as, as you know, uh, the trend these days is to try to cancel everybody right? Like cancel culture, like cancel everybody, right? Um, and so I was like, what exactly is cancel culture? Um, so I, I looked it up in the dictionary. Um, and this is what I found. <laughs> cancel culture, it's in the dictionary. And it's not urban dictionary. This is a Merriam-Webster <laughs> dictionary. Uh, the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure, okay? And you know, in dictionaries, I don't know if uh, you young people remember old school dictionaries that you open up, but you know, sometimes they'll give you like examples, like how to use this word in a sentence, right? And I, I thought these examples were uh, interesting. Um, uh, this one is not, not so much, but uh, at a Republican national convention where speakers rage about cancel culture has been clear, former Covington Catholic student Nick Sandman used his speaking slot to introduce himself as the teenager who was defamed by the media. Uh, another example of how to use this in a sentence is the relative difficulty of doing something good and the prolonged waiting period to receive credit for it is why cancel culture has flourished. It offers quicker social rewards. Interesting, right? That's a, and that's from Rob Henderson. I don't know who he is, but I mean, that, that sounds pretty accurate. And from Elise Krumholz, cancel culture is supported as a tool to stop offensive and harmful behavior while others find it problematic and toxic. Now that is very accurate, right? I think what started off as um, uh, something like good, like something worthwhile, something that like was, um, supposed to be helpful actually turned out to be kind of problematic and toxic at times, right? So um, recently there's been this like controversy with uh, um, this, you know, comedian, podcaster, uh, UFC commentator, Joe Rogan, because his podcast, he talks about like alternative methods to COVID uh, immunity which many people, um, I myself included, uh, find to be completely bogus, right? Uh, like, like these um, supplements, right? Pretty much like vitamins, like supplements you take instead of the vaccine, which is like far less effective. If 
if even effective at all than actual vaccines. And so because people were protesting this, and he has an exclusive contract with Spotify, the music streaming service, right? And now they're, you know, really building up their like podcast game. And so a lot of people are like canceling their Spotify uh, memberships because of Joe Rogan, right? And so, yes, I completely disagree with Joe Rogan on this, on his theory of um, COVID immunity, but does he deserve to be completely canceled? Like, doesn't he still have the right to free speech? And you could feel free to disagree with him, which I do, right? Um, you know, what, what uh, constitutes as like being cancel worthy, right? Uh, there are other people whom I think universally people would agree that they should be canceled, okay? Like Bill Cosby, <laughs> okay? Bill Cosby, uh, a couple years ago, many, many women have come out and, and, and accused him of rape, right? So he is now like a serial rapist, okay? He definitely <laughs> should be canceled, right? And then there's people like um, director James Gunn. Do you guys know who James Gunn is? Right? He directed uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and most recently, like the Suicide Squad movie um, in uh, the DC universe, right? The DC Comics universe. And many, many years ago, I think like 20 years ago, he came out with a tweet that uh, was really in bad form okay it was really in bad taste okay he made a tweet about like a bad joke about pedophilia it's a really bad joke right and someone uncovered it and as soon as disney found out about it because disney owns marvel they fired him right and they said you know you're not going to do any more movies with marvel um and a lot of people were upset right and there were actually some main actors from guardians of the galaxy who said if he doesn't direct the next movie i don't want to be a part of it right and I don't want to name names, but I'm sure that some of them are like names that you would be familiar with. And so because of that, Disney withdrew their uh, firing and rehired him. And so there, where is that line, right, uh, of when to cancel others and when to uh, not cancel others? And, it, it, and many times it seems like uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, like, you know, it might not be the majority of people, but the few people who want certain celebrities or like public figures to be canceled are very loud, very vocal, right? And they're making a lot of noise. And because of that, it's gaining some traction and some momentum. And I think in some ways, like we all know what it's like to feel canceled, <laughs> to feel rejected and to feel exiled. And I'm here to say to you that that is actually part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That if we are genuine, um, faithful, and uh, uh, like faithful followers of Jesus Christ, eventually we are going to encounter feeling canceled, rejected, or exiled, okay? And I don't know about you, but lately, especially like, coming out, starting to come out of COVID and, you know, the world just feeling like a very different place and people connecting with each other in different ways and just having uh, different relationship dynamics. Um, I'm just feeling more and more out of place. 
right? And I'm just feeling more and more um, like an oddball. Like I don't belong in this world, right? And um, even this, <laughs> even this morning, like uh, Becky and I were talking about how there's this one family whom we were really close to, but the husband and I got into a fight, like an argument, and because of that, like he no longer wants to <laughs> hang out with me. I'm like, okay, all right. I guess he's canceling me, all right? And it just it just happens, right? And I think in some ways, like if we continue to live a life of faithfulness, eventually we're gonna feel like exiles. We're gonna feel like we're rejected. We're gonna feel canceled by the world. And we feel like we don't belong here. And I don't know about you guys, but I have that thought every once in a while, pretty regularly. Like, I don't belong in this world. Sometimes I feel like this isn't my home, right? Like this isn't my permanent place of residence. And so that's really our central truth for today. Um, we are exiles of this world, yet we are called to embrace our neighbors. We are called to love. Even though we are exiles of this world, we are called to embrace and love our neighbors. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? I didn't bring my physical Bible today, so I'm just reading off my phone. If you have a Bible app. It's going to be on the screen as well, but um, the verses are really small, so it's probably better if you pull up your own. First Peter chapter two, verses four through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Amen. All right. So today we are reading from the letter of First Peter. Okay. And First Peter is one of several letters that Apostle Peter wrote to the early, early Christians shortly after they were being persecuted and dispersed from their homelands. Okay. Uh, we know this because, let me go back to our... Uh, we know this because uh, in the beginning of 1 Peter, the apostle greeted the recipients of the letter with, to God's elect 
exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, so Peter was writing this letter not to just one place, but through to like multiple churches uh, in the first century scattered around like Asia Minor and parts of Europe. All right, and so Peter. Uh, so this um, significant historical change happened shortly prior to Peter's letters was that um, Nero was, uh, had become the new emperor of Rome. And while the Roman Empire during Jesus' time and prior to Nero was never fond of early Christians, they did not persecute them as heavily as Emperor Nero did. Okay, so once Emperor Nero came into power, which was after Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension, okay, it was many years after Nero, uh, Jesus left this earth, Nero became emperor, and he had uh, absolute disdain and hatred towards the early church, the early Christians, and so he heavily persecuted the early church, uh, like beyond any other Roman emperor prior to him or after him, right, and so once he came into power, Many early Christians who lived in Rome and uh, Roman Empire had to flee, had to flee their homelands and to live in these like new cities, right? Now, it's hard for anybody who grew up in one place, like in, in the 21st century, okay? It's hard for anybody who grew up in one place their entire lives to move to a different city. Now, it's a completely different story in the first century, okay? If someone grew up in a city like uh, Philippi, okay? Um, it's most likely his parents lived in Philippi, his grandparents lived in Philippi, his great-grandparents lived in Philippi. Like, they've been there for generations. And so for someone to leave their hometown is like a totally life-altering uh, situation, okay? And so Peter was writing this letter to the Christians in the first century who were scattered around Europe and Asia Minor to try to encourage them. So for Peter, all of this was very important uh, to the growth and validity of the Christian's faith and identity. Okay? He's trying to encourage them and saying, it's precisely because you are Christian that you feel like exiles, that you are no longer comfortable in the city that you live in, that you feel like a foreigner in a foreign land because of your faith. And he is encouraging them that this is actually a mark of true faithfulness. So he had, um, he was, he, he had write, written this letter to really encourage and strengthen the faith of the followers. And the, the very thing that made them feel like outsiders is the very thing that marked them for their faith. Peter himself was very familiar with this, okay? What it means to be an outsider, what it means to be an exile. And I shared a couple of weeks ago that when Peter first uh, was, um, accused of being a follower of Jesus Christ when Jesus was carrying that cross up the hill to Calvary where Jesus would be uh, crucified. Some people recognized Peter as a follower of Jesus Christ as one of the 12 disciples. And uh, when they asked him about it, when they confronted Peter about it, he denied them, right? And he rejected Jesus because he himself didn't want to be rejected, right? They asked him three times, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and three times he denied it. And it's because, so he rejected Jesus because he didn't want to be rejected by the world. And then later on, once Jesus asked him the question, um, 
Peter, do you love me? He asked him that three times, right? And uh, Peter affirmed Jesus's invitation three times. That's when he was willing to embrace the identity that he had in Jesus Christ. And then eventually he himself became rejected by the world. I wonder how often we deny Jesus Christ. We reject our allegiance to Jesus Christ because we are so afraid to be rejected by the world. I wonder how often we encounter and have moments that like Peter did when he was confronted by people around him. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? And because we're so afraid of being rejected by them, by being canceled by them, that we actually like put our faith like uh, to sleep and we actually um, kind of hide it, right? We might not straight up lie and say like, oh no, I'm not a Christian, right? Like, I don't think any of us here would do that. But I wonder how many of us actually like don't live out our faith because we don't want to be rejected by the world. And that brings us to the first um, point of today, which is we are exiles in this world because we are embraced in the kingdom of God. Eventually, we will encounter situations that will remind us that we do not belong in this world. Right? We are not citizens of this place. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so because of that, we're naturally going to feel out of place here from time to time. In verses uh, four and five, uh, it says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Just as Jesus was rejected by humankind, just as Jesus was exiled by the world, we also will become rejected by the world, and we also will experience exile every once in a while. We are exiles in a foreign land. This theme of feeling like an exile because of one's faith is a very common theme throughout the Bible, uh, tracing all the way back to Genesis, okay? Uh, Abraham was asked to leave his homeland and go to a foreign place prior to him being blessed as the father of uh, many nations. Moses had to flee his hometown of Egypt and live in the desert of Midian for 40 years prior to being used by God to lead his people out of slavery. And the Israelites were forced out of Jerusalem, the holy city, uh, when the Babylonian empire came and invaded their land. And now in Peter's first letter to the dispersed Christians in the early church, we see that the first Christians are experiencing their own form of exile from their home cities and forced to live in foreign places. I remember, um, I've shared this story, I think, with a, a few of you in the past, um, but I started taking my faith seriously, like in high school and going into college, um, you know, I, I wanted to uh, still, you know, live a, a life of faith, right? So I tried my best to avoid parties and like, um, uh, you know, alcohol and smoking weed and, and, and girls. Uh, but I, I was still kind of a, a, a weirdo because I, um, I was like uh, stick skinny and I had um, bleached hair 
okay? Uh, and I wore really funky clothes, okay? And when Becky and I look back at those pictures, like she cringes because I was like, she said I was like so gross back then. <laughs> and now look at me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so everyone just assumed I was like a crackhead, right? Everyone just assumed I was like this like crazy, like raves were really big back then, right? So everyone thought I was like really into raves and stuff. I've never been to a rave. And I remember I lived in the dorms my freshman year. And this is when I was at Riverside, okay? I went to UC Riverside and I lived in the dorms my freshman year. And uh, there were a couple guys in my hall who would like drink like all the time. And once in a while they would like smoke weed and it's like really obvious because like you could totally like smell it, right? Like it stinks up the whole dorm hall. And um, the guy, <laughs> that guy, uh, he, he lived like two rooms down from me, right? Uh, he also grew up in the church and then once he like went to college, it was like his rebellious phase. And then uh, he assumed I was like into drugs and like drinking and all that stuff. And I was like, no man, I'm a Christian. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, okay. I gotta get you drunk. Like, you know, before the end of the, before the end of the semester, right? I was like, the, or quarter, sorry, it was quarter system. I was like, what? No, I don't want to get drunk, right? And uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm only 18, right? And so he's like, I don't care. I'm going to get you drunk. And so um, uh, one day I came home, uh, I, was, I was coming back to my room, and he and his friends had their door open, and I have to walk past their room to get to my room, right? And so they could see me, like, walking by. And uh, he, his dorm mate, and his friend, who was like this huge guy, right? He was like six foot three, like 200 something pounds, right? Um, they saw me walking by. He's like, ow, get the hell in here. I was like, what? And I was like, no, no, it's, it's okay. And then his friend literally like comes out and grabs me and like pulls me in, like, and they close the door and like lock it, right? Oh, oh. And they're like getting drunk. And he's like, take a sip, right? I was like, no, I don't wanna. He's like, take a sip. I'm like, no. And so uh, I, I literally like run away from there. Okay, I, I open the door and like I, I run away from there. All right, and then I go to my room and I lock the door. And uh, they did this to me like multiple times, right? They did this to me multiple times. And so uh, this you know, one day when I was coming back a few weeks later, they were at it again, right? Those three guys. And so, um, and I don't want to walk past her room because I, uh, <laughs> I was, um, I was nervous, right? And so uh, instead, I just left that dorm hall and then I went to my <laughs> friend's room in a different hall and I just slept on this floor. Like I did this multiple times, right? I did this multiple nights because I was so like, I have to stay pure for you, Jesus, right? <laughs> and now I drink alcohol all the time. But <laughs> I, I think my intentions back then was like, I, I wanted to like be faithful. And because of that, I did. I couldn't even. I couldn't even go to my home. Right at that time, my dorm room was my home. Right, so I really, I literally like had to sleep on the floor of my friend's <laughs> place. And it's precisely because of my faith. Right, and at the time, you know, I was like miserable. I was like sleeping on my friend's floor. Right, and he like had an extra pillow, and so I just like slept on his floor uh, in my jacket. Right, and I felt homeless. And um, I look back at that, and I'm like. Oh, I'm really like proud of those days. <laughs> I don't know why, right? But that's like a clear, like that's like my most vivid memory of like when I felt like an exile as a result of my faith. And we're all gonna feel that, 
right? We're all going to feel that. And maybe it won't be as dramatic <laughs> for you as it is for me, but maybe in your workplace, you see that everyone else is being dishonest in some way, and you don't want to do that, right? Maybe at your school, you see your friends like talking crap about somebody or gossiping, and like you don't want to participate, so you just leave. Like, oh, look at you, Mr. High and Mighty, right? And, you know, we just don't participate in things that everyone else, like, takes pleasure in. And so by definition, uh, exiles, oh, there you go. Uh, by definition, exiles will stand out, okay? If you live a life of faithfulness, if you try to live um, as a follower of Jesus Christ, exiles will stand out. In a different passage, um, where did my, oh, here it is. Uh, in, in the same passage, but in a, a couple of verses later, in verse 12, it says this, okay? Live such good lives among the pagans, or like non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There will be times where you'll stand out. There will be times where you will feel like uh, a reject or an exile or out of place because of your faith. But when they look back at your life, they, you will be blameless because you did not participate in the things that they participated in or because you, know, you had a higher level of living, a higher standard of ethics as other people did. And lastly, exiles can empathize with others because of their past pain. Exiles can empathize with others because of their past pain. In verse 9, it says, this is like one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Uh, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because we experience what it feels like to be rejected, exiled, or canceled, uh, we can know what it's like for others to feel rejected, exiled, or canceled. If you see someone like a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, a coworker uh, who is uh, feeling like pain or lonely or suffering, struggling with something, you can empathize with them because you are familiar with that kind of pain. When, you know, as um, I'm, um, you know, we're trying to start this church and I'm the only pastor here, you know, we have people like Courtney and Riley and now um, Malia, the childcare person who's like helping out in different ways. Uh, I, I'm the only pastor here, right? So for me, it can get pretty lonely um, trying to lead this church. So one of the surprising benefits that I found of being a chaplain at a hospital is that I have like coworkers and colleagues who are also clergy, okay? Chaplains are clergy. And as I am, uh, was getting to know them, um, all of them come from a past of pain. They all had like difficult childhoods or deep, deep loss or uh, incredible pain in their lives. 
And that's precisely why they're good at being chaplains. When someone grows up very privileged, <laughs> without many struggles, without uh, many challenges, it's kind of uh, difficult for them to empathize with others. And I don't know if you know anyone like this, right? But if someone grows up a little too privileged and without struggle, it's hard for them to connect with someone else's pain. But for someone like me, who grew up like with, um, in a very like, difficult childhood, and I've experienced a lot of suffering and loss, uh, it's easier for me to empathize with a suffering patient with someone who lost a loved one. And that's the case with all of my other colleagues. They've experienced uh, a loss of a husband or uh, a loss of a child, or they had very, very difficult childhoods um, their entire lives, which makes them, which helps them empathize with others. And so for all of us, if you live a life of faithfulness, eventually you're going to, um, encounter situations and people who are suffering. And it's precisely because of your past experiences that you can empathize with other people's pain. And this is exactly why Jesus Christ came to earth. We do not have a high priest who sits afar in his heavenly throne who cannot understand what it's like to be a human being. We have a God who knows what it's like to be lonely, we have a God who knows what it's like to struggle. We have a God who knows what it's like to suffer and to feel abandonment. And that's precisely why he's able to empathize with our own pain and our own suffering. And this is exactly what he called all of us to do. We are exiles of this world called to embrace our neighbors. So a uh, challenge for this week is simple. Uh, embrace one exile, All right? Embrace one exile. Yesterday, I um, sent an email to all of you. I'm going to pull it up right now. And there was a prayer in the email, okay, uh, from a man named Alan Patton, okay? He's the former president of the Liberal Party of South, uh, South Africa. He actually... Um, is a best-selling author. He, uh, his most famous novel is called Cry the Beloved Country, which is a novel about a South African minister whose um, son, uh, whose African uh, son was accused of murder of uh, a white man, right? Uh, falsely accused of murder for this white man. Alan Patton himself is white, okay? Um, and he stood with people like Nelson Mandela to oppose apartheid in South Africa. He had a very prestigious job at the university where he was teaching, and he gave up that job to become a director of an all-boys high school in urban uh, Johannesburg uh, of all black kids, right? And um, he prayed this prayer, okay? This prayer that I emailed to you all, and I want to close with this today, right? So if you can join me in prayer. And before I pray this prayer, uh, just visualize in your mind that one exile that God wants you to embrace this week. Who is that one exile that God is calling you to embrace this week?
and join me in prayer. Oh Lord, open my eyes that I may see the needs of others. Open my ears that I may hear their cries. Open my heart so that they need not be without aid. Let me not be afraid to defend the weak because of the anger of the strong, nor afraid to defend the poor because of the anger of the rich. Show me where love and hope and faith are needed and use me to bring them to those places. And so open my eyes and ears that I may this coming day be able to do some work of peace for thee. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a blessed week. Go Rams. <laughs> Go Rams. <laughs>